Good morning, everybody. Let's see, yeah. It is, I believe, April 18th. No, sorry, May, May 18th. Yeah, it is May 18th. I got it right finally. Uh, and this is uh, Driving Theology. My name is Mike, and thanks for riding along with me today my way to work and uh, listening to my uh, random ramblings of randomness the three R's uh, maybe wondering ramblings random random wondering random ramblings or something like that anyway yeah so it's a beautiful day the last couple Wednesdays I've uh, recorded this podcast. It's been much worse weather than today, uh, but it's warming up. It, we had a chilly day yesterday. Today it looks like it's 20 out already. It's probably going to get up to 24 or something like that, which is Celsius, uh, not Fahrenheit. Uh, yeah, last week I uh, talked about... Uh, the uh, Beatitudes, and really uh, I've been thinking about them all week, uh, so for about two weeks now I guess the Beatitudes have been on my mind quite a bit, um, and, and there's really so much there, right? Uh, but I think the Beatitudes are too often separated into... Uh, into um, individual kind of proverbs uh, as opposed to taken as a whole as as uh, being uh, many descriptors of, of one thing and I think both are okay but I think it's 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 about time we, we tried to figure out you know what what is this blessed person look like you know what what is Jesus trying to say with all of these um, counterintuitive sayings for example you know everybody knows that just because you show mercy doesn't mean people are going to show mercy to you I mean this doesn't happen everybody knows that the meek don't inherit the earth it's the strong it's the warriors right this is these are the people who inherit the earth the people who are strong enough to take it Everybody knows the poor in spirit uh, are not the ones who, you know, uh, the kingdom belongs to. It's the it's the strong in spirit, right? It's those who are spiritually strong, who are rich in spirit, not poor in spirit. And uh, you know, the those who mourn don't always find comfort, right? Um, we know that some people. Uh, never get over the loss of a loved one, right? Uh, and in fact, the loss of a loved one might even, uh, you know, accompany someone to their grave and, and very possibly a, a premature death. Um, so these 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 sayings, these uh, eight beatitudes, you know, blessed are the persecuted, really, you know. Um, 
Jesus is saying something more than, than meets the eye here. Because on the face of things, most of them are uh, counterintuitive, right? It seems like the opposite is true. And that's because Jesus was defining uh, the, the way that a new world would work. Right? He, he, is, he is introducing people to the ways things will work in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, these are things that will be true, that are true, uh, where, where uh, Christ is the Lord, right? where, where God reigns supreme, um, also known as the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is re referred to in the Beatitudes specifically a few times. Uh, as well as, blessed is your reward in heaven. So heaven is mentioned. The kingdom of heaven is mentioned. Uh, inheriting the earth is mentioned. Um, so, you know, that one, blessed are the meek, or I, I've also seen it translated humble. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. That idea of inheriting the earth also, to me, is is an indication uh, that that something good is in store for the earth. Right? Um, you don't inherit something that's bad. You don't inherit something that doesn't last. Certainly not from God. Uh, the earth is our inheritance. Right? It, it is something that will remain. It is something that's good. It's something that the Father is going to hand down to us. Uh, so somehow this idea of, you know, great is your reward in heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And you will inherit the earth. All of these things are good things and all of these things uh, are uh, can coexist without without uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for not controversy um, without being contradictive right without contradicting one another both heaven and earth and the kingdom of heaven all three somehow are going to coexist and I think we get this uh, in the Beatitudes right they're all referred to as as desirable, as good, as rewards, right? Um, as our inheritance, and so I, I think I think this is further confirmation that the escapist theology or escapist eschatology that somehow uh, those who have been chosen by Christ, the few, uh, the few, the chosen, the Christians, right? Uh, will escape this world for another spiritual world, and this world will be judged and condemned and destroyed by fire, no less. Uh, this, this kind of theology uh, creates many problems in the world. And the biggest one, I think, is that it paints God as a being who believes that violence is a legitimate way to solve problems. It paints, let me say that again, it, it, 
paints God, it paints Jesus, uh, it paints, paints the Creator, and really the Trinity, as beings who believe in the power of violence to be a good means to solve problems. Um, this I have a big problem with. I have a problem with that theology. Uh, first and foremost, be, foremost, because you don't find it in the teachings of Jesus. You don't find it uh, in his body of work. Now, sure, you can have some confirmation bias if, if you believe that, that Jesus is going to solve problems in the world by violence, then, then, then you're going to find some confirmation in the scripture. And the one, you know, there are a couple of people go to these go-to scriptures that are, uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you have a sword, bring it, right, he says to his disciples. And they say, we have two, and Jesus says, that's enough. Uh, and and then he says, Jesus says, I have I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Right, uh, and then you could also use the uh, the making of a whip and the cleansing of the temple, the clearing of the temple, really, uh, as also something where you could say, well, no, Jesus does solve uh, problems by violence. He believes that violence. Uh, is, an, is a legitimate means to solve the problems in the world. Well, I, I would have to point to the rest of Jesus' life, the way, the, the mode in which he operated in the world, uh, the love by which he embraced people. And it's not that his words weren't sometimes direct and pointed uh, and, and, and maybe maybe we could say even some anger but there's a difference between uh, between being frustrated uh, at lack of understanding right uh, and condemning people to an eternity of torment right in a fiery hell um, there's a difference there when I talk about violence uh, I don't talk about uh, all physical activity, right? I think it, it is possible that, that uh, you can physically place yourself between uh, a person and a violent person. And by getting in the way, in a sense, you are physically addressing the problem of violence. But it doesn't mean that, that you are proactively going out to hurt somebody or kill somebody. All right? You are in a protection mode. You are, you are making yourself a human shield. Uh, I believe that uh, is basically what, what Jesus did on the cross. He was making himself a human shield right, for us. And I think that, that's a way to physically... Uh, physically be involved in trying to solve, solve trying to solve the problem of violence without being violent right there there is a there is a certain way that you can sacrifice yourself and and stop violence and i think that's what jesus did on the cross jesus was judging more than anything 
this notion that violence is a good way to solve problems, right? Uh, th this, this is what he um, exposed on the cross, these beliefs, right? These beliefs were exposed on the cross. Um, and so I, I believe if you look at the, the rest of the life of Jesus, if you look at uh, all of these passages here, uh, in in the Sermon on the Mount about loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you and uh, going the extra mile, right? Uh, and uh, letting people borrow without expecting to get things back, right? And when he says, no greater love has any man than to lay down his life for his friend, right? Uh, all of these things show me that, first of all, uh, if Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he will do no less, right? He, gosh, he is going to love his enemies as well, right? Um, sorry, this car came really close, bumping me. Um, so, what Jesus expects of us, he, he promises to be no less, right? He loves his enemies. That's why he asks us to do the same. And he's always loved his enemies, right? If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, um, then, then we know that he's always loved his enemies. He's always loved man, no matter what they've done. Uh, and the cross was him showing us in no uncertain terms that that's true. First he came and proved himself to be God incarnate. And then God incarnate, right? Uh, whom Paul says in Colossians that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God was in Jesus, in Christ. He voluntarily accepted death on the cross though he was innocent, uh, exposing violence for what it is. A bankrupt, uh, a, a bankrupt system that solves no problems and creates even more, right? Um, so by saying, by Jesus saying on the cross that he does not count our sins against us, but is willing to die for us even though we are in our sins, what he's telling us is that he doesn't count our sins against us. That we need not be worried about whether or not God has accepted us. Our sins do not define who we are. Jesus defines who he is, and that definition is love. And he, he shows us his love through sacrifice and through acceptance and through persistence uh, and through sending the rain both on the, the righteous, and, righteous and the unrighteous, right? Um, he doesn't discriminate. Sin is not what divides us. So what is sin, right? What is the problem with sin? Well, sin, uh, I believe first and foremost, 
is the system that creates all of these bad consequences to come, right? Uh, when we sin, basically what we do is we are creating hell on earth, right? Uh, when we kill or steal, uh, when we are dishonest, um, when we are selfish and jealous, uh, when we are hateful, what we're doing is bringing upon us the consequences of our sin, also known as, in the Bible, I believe, the wrath of God. The wrath of God, I think, is a kind of a code word uh, for the natural consequences of living unlovingly in the world. When we choose to live for ourselves, when we choose to live selfishly, in the world, we begin to create hell all around us. Um, and I think I think the the ideas of fire, the the ideas of Gehenna, uh, all of these are are basically warnings that if we don't choose to to walk the way of Jesus in the world, mostly defined by the Beatitudes, right? very concisely defined by the Beatitudes, but I think more so defined by the, the body of work that is the teaching of Jesus, then we invite the consequences of our sins on us and on those we love, right? We know that, you know, when we sin, it's not only us who's punished for our sins, but those who are close to us, right? There, there is a, a, a bit of a um, contagious aspect of doing bad and doing good. I think it I think it goes both ways, but you know, if if you are especially if you're a parent, if you have children and you live poorly in the world, chances are you are going to influence your children to live poorly in the world as well. And you will then bring uh, the negative consequences of your sin upon yourself and upon your children who will perpetuate what they've learned uh, of you. Right? They will they will continue to be that way in the world uh, unless something drastic happens, and I think that that drastic thing is is very often the realization uh, that that there's a better way to be in the world, uh, and you know some people call that volunteerism or altruism or or what have you, um, but you know you. The, the Bible says it very clearly, you reap what you sow. If you live dishonestly in the world, you are going to uh, have people be dishonest to you. Um, if, if, if you are racist, you invite racism, right? It's not, it's not necessarily just a direct thing. I think there's all kinds of uh, variations of the kind of consequences you can uh, incur um, but basically that's just how the world works that's how this broken world functions um, you don't you don't sow weeds and expect to reap wheat right uh, you don't plant corn and expect to get apples 
it's just not how it works. Um, <clears throat> my fan's a little strong here. So, the Beatitudes is a description of a great way to be in the world, right? A way to be in the world that's going to invite blessing into your life. The natural consequences of living well in the world is that you will you will reap goodness, right? Well, there's there's some saying about righteousness. Um, Jesus says, um, seek seek first the kingdom and righteousness, which I like to translate justice. Seek first the kingdom of God and all His justice. And, and you will be taken care of. You will be provided for. It doesn't mean that you are going to be immune uh, from, from negativity, immune from, from tragedy, right? They're, they're, we, we are not uh, islands, right? No man is an island is, is the, how the saying goes. We are interconnected with all the people around us. And so what one person does, will we will in some way, perhaps indirectly, but be affected by the negative consequences of their actions. And I think the Bible talks about this when it talks about um, visiting, um, what is it, the punishment, I guess, maybe is how it says, but talking about how the, you know, children, the children will be cursed up to the fourth generation or something like this, right? is approximately 100 years, 80 to 100 years maybe, the fourth generation. So basically what it says is, you know, if, if your great-grandparents sinned, you may still be feeling the consequences of their sin. It, you know, we are interconnected in a lot of ways. Um, but I still think the basic trajectory of your life, you have an incredible amount of control over. Yes, you may have inherited inherited some, uh, some some negative consequences from your uh, progenitors, right? Your ancestors. But that doesn't mean that you can't, uh, in a very large way, take control of how you are in the world today and minimize uh, those residual um, negative consequences of your ancestors' sins. And I think, yeah, the, the, the more the generations from the sinner, the less, hopefully the less the uh, uh, consequences are, right? the less you feel. But nonetheless, it does seem to be uh, the case. And in fact, th there, there might be some science, or perhaps it's still pseudoscience, I don't know, that, that we inherit in our DNA uh, some of the emotions and and therefore the experiences of the of our parents or grandparents or great grandparents that there may be generational um, fears and phobias and emotions that are passed down um, through into our DNA that, that we have no responsibility over but uh, 
our ancestors may have passed on to us nonetheless, right? Um, it's a possibility. Uh, now, I'm no scientist and I haven't read um, that literature, but it's been floating around for a couple of years. And to me, it seems possible. I, I think, I think there may also be some, um, not just emotions and phobias, but some actual memories that maybe may have been implanted in our mind. I have memories that I know are not mine, right? I know I didn't do, um, and yet I have memories of it. Um, for example, I've I've never been a smoker. In fact, uh, I've maybe smoked a cigarette or two in my life. And that was only on stage when I had to. I had no choice. I, I was playing a character and, and he was required to light up and puff. And I did not, <laughs> so it sounds so cliche, I did not inhale um, because I'm a singer and I just didn't want to put that in my body. And I never, never liked it. My parents have, you know, they were both smokers when they were younger and they uh, really drilled it into my head not to do that and so I've had kind of a kind of a phobia of smoking right uh, and yet <laughs> and this is weird I have memories of chain smoking just smoking one after another chain smoking these are these are memories that I have even though I know I never did it I can't shake this memory that I have, that I did do it, right? Um, and it's really weird. It's it's just one of these things. And I have a feeling that there was, you know, some time when one of my ancestors was, you know, terribly nervous or um, upset um, or just badly addicted to, to tobacco. Uh, and I know I had a lot of a lot of smokers in my family. My family comes from middle. Middle Tennessee, and there's, that's tobacco country. So I know there there were a lot of smokers in my family, but I I never did it. I know I never did it. You know, it's not something that uh, I would ever do, and even the thought of it would kind of make me sick to my stomach. Um, in fact, just getting, you know, I I tried to get out of lighting up on stage as much as possible, uh, and the director would not let me out of it. So, anyway, um, all that to say is the consequences of sin are very real. But I do believe that those are for this life, right? That those consequences are for this life. That they do not, they do not determine whether or not you will be eternally with Jesus or not. I think the cross is the statement that says, hey, you're all good. I understand. You live in a broken world. You're going you're to do broken things, right? Uh, broken people break things. That's what we do. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that, yes, you can, you can live in the world and you can, uh, you can make decisions that's going to lessen some of that. But I just want you to know that that's not going to be the final word, that that my final stamp on you is approved 
Um, right? 100% FDA approved. <laughs> that, that Jesus has approved us because of his, his justice. It's, it's just to forgive us. Right? No matter how we look at it. It's just to be forgiven. Because God only does just things. And if he has forgiven us, even while we were sinners, he died for us. If he has forgiven us, uh, then to do so is just. And we can accept that. Um, and so the Beatitudes, and really, you know, the first, uh, sorry, the fourth, uh, fifth, sixth, and seventh chapters of Matthew, uh, all describe a way that we can live better in the world, that in a way that we can be part of the, the solution uh, and not part of the problem in the world, that we can begin to bring peace, right, and mercy. We, we can, you know, the Beatitudes talk about that, that we can, we can comfort those who mourn. Uh, we can be peacemakers. Um, uh, by our gentleness, we can inherit the earth. By, uh, by our mercy, we can bring more mercy into the world, right? Um, so, yeah, the Beatitudes have been, have been on my mind, and I'm going to try to go through them right now. I've been struggling to memorize all of them, but I think I'm very close, and we'll just see. We'll, we'll put it out there. So, uh, the first Beatitude. <laughs> I can't get the first one. I'm going to be in trouble. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall attain mercy. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they will be called sons of God. And I feel like I missed one. Uh, blessed are the hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, blessed are they who mourn. Sorry, that was number two. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then, blessed are Blessed are they are those who are persecuted for justice's sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, and then, of course, the, the last one is reiterated. Blessed are you uh, when you uh, are, what is it, reviled and, and accused and, and, you know, falsely, uh, falsely accused and persecuted for for Jesus says my name's sake for the, for this for Jesus' sake uh, he says rejoice because great is your reward in heaven for so did they do to the prophets who are before you um, yeah a lot of that's paraphrased and yeah it's not perfectly recited by translation but you know, a lot of the words I like to kind of change. I really like the word humble instead of meek. I'm not sure the word meek means much today. 
but then you're confused. It's a little confusing between poor in spirit and and humble because poor in spirit also means in a lot of ways humble, humble about your spiritual strength or your your spiritual level or abilities or gifts or whatever. Right. Um. Yeah, man, I highly recommend you spending some time in the Beatitudes and really, really thinking on them. Um, I've enjoyed uh, the last few weeks uh, being kind of focused on those, I don't know, 10 or so verses. Uh, and maybe I'll just delve into the, uh, the rest of chapter 5 now. There's some great stuff coming up on, on divorce and enemies on enemy love and all of the great stuff that I love about Jesus' teaching um, is all in there so yeah I'm going to let you guys uh, go I'm just about 5 minutes from uh, getting to my place of work and I'm running just a little bit late so I'm going to have to peel out of this car somewhat quickly quickly uh, but yeah thanks again for uh, tuning in and listening and uh, I pray that uh, you have a great day Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.